0: future.
1: We're talking real money. Okay, welcome to another exciting, okay, well, helpful, um, definitely listenable uh, edition of the Talking Real Money podcast on which I try to do my best to both answer your questions and help guide you toward a better financial future. And in this episode, we also get a little help from our friends. So this is more of Q&A and info, which is great because we share stuff here on the uh, on the Talking Real Money podcast and radio show. And I am so glad you decided to listen. I hope you tell your friends. And remember, if you have a question, it's really, really easy to send it to us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. You just go to TalkingRealMoney.com and click on the contact form. And you can record it right into your phone, your iPad, your computer, whatever you're doing through the microphone in your device, or even better, when you have a standalone mic that sounds really good. So go ahead and do that. Go to TalkingRealMoney.com, where you're going to find lots of great stuff anyway, and then send your question in, just like this.
2: Thanks, Don and Tom, for the best financial podcast out there. And i got to tell you, I love Don's recent, uh, his recent travelogue show. Those crowds in Europe sound like a complete nightmare, that story about Iceland. I am so glad that um, I didn't go to Europe this summer. Anyway, I wanted to ask you guys your thoughts on the 401k, the regular 401k versus the Roth 401k. I heard some people advise that the Roth 401k is better, but is there a benefit in being able to hang on and invest the tax savings that you would get when you invest in a regular 401k. Um, and I know with the Roth 401k, you don't have to pay any taxes when you take the money out, but haven't you essentially lost all the returns that you would have made by investing that tax savings that you would get with the traditional 401k? Sorry, I'm not really grasping the math on all this, and I hope you guys can help me out. Thanks again.
1: Well, thank you for the nice comments, and you're right. You are missing out on the returns on the money it, that you would have been paying taxes on if you invest that money. Yeah, some people spend it. Not all uh, automatically invest that 25% savings or 20% or 15%. percent you got to figure out what your bracket is and invest that elsewhere outside of the, uh, the the IRA. That would be a big benefit to you. However, the problem with this is we're trying to guess – in a knowledge vacuum. We're guessing. I mean, that's really the problem. Because the answer, the correct answer, is the best place to put it depends on the future, on where tax rates are in the future, on where your tax rate is in the future. Because we have met and worked with an awful lot of people, a lot of people, who have saved and invested so well that they kicked themselves into a much worse bracket which ended up costing them far more than the the savings would have been, and probably even far more than the investment return would have been on those assets. Although this is a very difficult calculation to make, you have to make all kinds of guesses. Uh, it doesn't even lend itself well to a Monte Carlo simulation. So that is why we we go Solomon all over it. We just split the the the, the deal. We I think it's best to do both. Do a traditional, do a Roth, and if you're disciplined enough, of course, invest everything you save in taxes. But then you have two pools from which to draw, and you can do some future tax planning. Some, uh, but there's no simple, straightforward answer to it. If you're in a very high bracket now and you expect to be in a lower bracket in the future, then yeah, it's a no-brainer. Take the tax deduction. Uh, because we don't know what tax rates are going to be. And if you think you're going to have a lower income down the road, you're going to live on that lower income. You know, like you make high six figures or something, and you figure you're going to live on low six figures in retirement, then your income bracket's going to be lower unless you have huge. uh, But see, that's the other thing, is the required minimum distributions can kick you back up. So it is a very complicated math problem, and usually the simplest answer is the best, and that is split them. Thanks, very much for the call the question it's not even really a call we're not going to call them we're going to call them calls yeah we're going to call them calls might as well i'm old-fashioned i'm stuck on it it's like the i did an audition and i said i'm just going to keep the tape rolling there's a squiggly line on my screen it's on tape
3: all right let's do our next one shall we hello don and tom i want to thank you first for your broadcast as i always find it informative I want to ask you a question about something you speak about often, and that is delaying retirement, Social Security, until your age of 70. Now, I'm currently 67 and past my full retirement age. I've saved about $700,000, and I've got it all in Vanguard. Some of it is under the personal advisor in which they have me in a combination of VTI, BND, and BNDX. And some of it I have myself invested at Vanguard, and I've got it in a combination of a cash equivalent money market fund and the remainder split between two target date funds, that being the 2025 fund and the 2030 fund, the smaller amount is in the target date funds and cash with the largest amount being in a traditional uh, fund. I'm wondering, though, if this would be able to sustain me if I were to draw, say, $40,000 a year for the next, say, three years until I reach 70 I'm kind of puzzled whether I should do this or not. I mean, I could take Social Security at any time, but I do realize it goes up 8% a year each year I wait. My biggest concern is worrying about running out of money because I have no income coming in other than Social Security after this year. Can you share your thoughts with me on on a situation like this? I totally understand the weighting to 70. I'm just wondering, can I do it?
1: While you didn't give me the exact percentages, it strikes me that you have a really well-balanced portfolio. And a really well-balanced portfolio has traditionally meant in the past uh, uh, about a 50% stock, 50% bond portfolio, that uh, your worst year has been in that 20 to 30% decline range. Worst year. Now, worst fives have been far lower than that. As a matter of fact, worst five years, if I remember correctly, they're right around break-even over five years. So let's assume a terrible scenario. Let's assume that for the next three years, while you wait to collect Social Security, the stock market dips total over that period of time 20%. Well now, you're down $140,000. However, if you're only taking $40,000 out per year, you're now down 260 and you're still looking at under just a bit under a half a million dollars to start regrowing in the future. And you're going to have a much, much higher Social Security benefit on which to live. If your living expenses are really $4,000 a month, roughly, or less than that, $3,600 a month, then you're going to live very, very comfortably on Social Security and and be able to leave your nest egg alone for the next many years to come to grow back up again. So I think the risks are just ridiculously low. As a matter of fact, we're the same age. If I was to retire today, I would do something very, very similar to what you're going to do. And I would be confident that my money will hold up while I pay myself income over those three intervening years before I turn 70. So would I do it? Yeah. Should you do it? Personal decision, but I think it's a good one. Thank you so much for being a part of the program. Now, here's another one. Hey, Don and Tom. Um, I was listening to your response. The gentleman had like $130,000 for an HSA. One thing not everybody understands is any dollars, medical
2: dollars that he paid for with after dollar taxes and just let the HSA
1: accumulate, yeah. he can recover that money at any time in his life. So, If he had $50,000 of expenses over a fairly long period of time, he can, he can do that. So just wanted to throw it out there for you guys. Thanks again. You guys do a great job. Take care. There's our information call and that's good information. So in other, in essence, what he's saying is if, if you spent cash, not out of your HSA on medical expenses and you can document those, then those are accessible at any point in time from your HSA. So. Uh it's good advice. It's something else to just tuck away in the back of your head for future purposes if you are one of those who is building a nice nest egg in your health savings account. Once again, drop your questions in the queue at talkingrealmoney.com on the contact form. Here's our next one and final one for the day. Hi, Don and Tom. This
4: is Matthew from California. I've heard some other financial media hosts talk about either literally or figuratively someone firing their financial advisor and managing their own portfolio. However, commonly in a marriage, only one of the two individuals is significantly interested in managing their own investment portfolio and finances personally, and has taken the extraordinary step of becoming financially savvy enough to manage their own high-net-worth portfolio. My concern with foregoing the services of a fee-only financial advisor is that if I was to die... Early or unexpectedly, my wife would not be interested or currently competent to take on the responsibility of managing a seven or eight-figure net worth portfolio. She has no interest now or in the future of spending months to years developing that investment management competency. While she could, upon my death, go find a fee-only financial advisor, it seems like this would not be top of her list of things to have to deal with, and there could be significant costs involved in potentially moving the investment portfolio. Wouldn't you agree that since having one spouse more interested in investment management than the other is probably more the rule than the exception, shouldn't most couples be using a fee-only financial advisor from the beginning as somewhat of an insurance policy, so to speak, to make things easier on the surviving,
1: non-financially savvy spouse? Long ago, in a studio far, far away, a host named Don McDonald used to tell people you, you have the ability to manage your money by yourself because it's just not that hard. Well, he was wrong or I was wrong because it is hard and it's it's not hard when you're getting started. if you've got some discipline. Uh, and you create a very simple, well-balanced portfolio or a portfolio that's right for your risk profile. It's not that hard you know, to, to buy a Vanguard Total Market or a, a vantus all-stock portfolio and, and just sit there with it in your 20s and maybe add a little bonds as you get older. And, you know, you're dealing with under six figures. It's not that complicated. However, you're right. When you get to seven figures and you get to the point where you're nearing retirement and you get to the point where you, as the primary manager of the money, have a better chance of not being there anymore. That's one of the best arguments I can think of for having a fee-only, 100% fiduciary, never sells anything ever on commissioned investment advisor. I I think that's one of the best reasons of all for somebody you care about, because there are spouses who would be totally lost trying to do this on their own and or significant others. So it's only it's only logical that you should have somebody who can, while you're alive, manage it for them. Even though you're still relatively active in the process, you meet with the advisor, you and the advisor come to joint decisions, you're setting your spouse up for a far more comfortable financially and psychologically sane future. And that's a tremendous gift to give somebody. So I think, I think it is for most good savers, good investors, it is eventually essential that you hand the reins off to somebody else so that there is a backup. It's just a backup plan. Plus it takes some of the onus off of you. We've talked to dozens and dozens, maybe hundreds of people who by the time they get to a certain point in their life, they're going, this is, this is getting hard for me. I think I should pass it off. And maybe in passing it off, I'm going to get some better ideas, some things that I don't know about some management that, uh, that, that, eliminates even my biases because we all have them i mean I, I, one of my favorite favorite quotes is from paul merriman who says and paul merriman managed billions of dollars for people over the years paul said i have my own advisor that's smart that's really really smart particularly where you where, where you are in life so uh yeah you and all others like you but again the trick is and we've talked about this in episode after episode after episode find one of the very few good ones they're out there they're just hard to find and they tend to be very very busy because they're rarer You know, there's a stockbroker, there's a guy from LPL or Ed Jones or Ameriprise or Voya or Northwest Mutual Life or Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley on almost every corner in America. You're not going to find that many 100% fee only, 100% fiduciary advisors in most communities. You're going to have to go either to a bigger city or go online. You know, you don't have them sitting in the, you know, the corner store downtown like you do the Ed Jones guy, um, but you should have one. Thank you for that call. Good points made, actually, by all. Thank you all so much. Your participation is truly appreciated, particularly by me, but by both Tom and me. And remember, if you do want some more involved help, We do more involved help because we know that on a podcast, we can't get into everything. You know, we couldn't get into into the entire portfolio and go through the whole thing. We couldn't sit down and do a a detailed um, plan, preliminary plan. We can't do a detail. We're not going to do a detailed plan for you for free. It's hard work. But a preliminary plan, you know, will help you kind of get the things set up for the future. We'll do all that for free. We do. Truly, we do it for free. Because it costs us a little bit of time, but it can change your life. And the other thing it does, we find, is that even those that will never hire us, although maybe they should, they often, in fact, more often than not, refer somebody to us. So it's really... Actually, smart marketing, too, to be honest, to tell the truth, and to not sell people things. So thanks again for being there. If you want more help, go to TalkingRealMoney.com. That's where you find all the good stuff. Just go to TalkingRealMoney.com. The podcasts are there. You can listen to the live radio show on Saturdays there, which airs Eastern time, 3 to 5. There's actually a link to listen to it live at TalkingRealMoney.com. You can find articles there on all kinds of investing things. You can meet with an advisor there. Just click Meet an Advisor. You can take the risk quiz there. My gosh, we have a lot of stuff available. But we've been building it up for about a decade, so there should be. Thank you again. Take great care of yourselves. I'm Don McDonald, hanging out with you, talking real money